welcome back to this episode of Frame FM. I'm your host, David Honig, and today I'm with a good old friend, Bill Wise, CEO and co-founder of Media Ocean. Welcome to the podcast, Bill Wise. Wow. You're the only one who calls me Bill Weiss and gets away with it. It's wise. You would have think Bill Wise. I know half, Bill Wise. After two and a half decades, I thought you'd get it right, you know? Yeah, you know, but, you know, I'm a unique individual. So how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. What about yourself? Congrats on the podcast. Congrats on all the good stuff. Yeah. So today I want to really talk about you as a leader. You know, you've been doing this for a long time, well over 25 years in the tech space. But before I get into that, could you tell the audience a little bit about MediaOcean? Sure. So MediaOcean is a software company focused on the advertising and marketing communities. Our heritage is in, you know, really in the back office. So it's really about workflow, plumbing, electricity, all the stuff that nobody gives a shit about until it's broke, and then everyone cares about it. And so that's our heritage. We do things like billing and invoicing. We look more like you know Oracle, SAP, Microsoft, financials than we do like an ad tech company. And you know, in recent years, we've grown through acquisition to go from the back office a little bit up to the front office and kind of now provide ad tech solutions connected to that media finance, you know, back office application. And through it all, we have we have $200 billion of advertising spend going through the pipes of MediaOcean. We see, you know, one in every three advertising dollars spent globally. Absolutely remarkable. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because it started early on since I think like in the late 60s as Donovan Data that you acquired with MediaBank then turned into MediaOcean. That must have been quite unique, you know, with the different cultures. Could you talk about that and how it started many years ago? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like you, Dave, I started, you know, I had an unsuccessful career as an accountant. After that, I got into digital advertising through a company called DoubleClick, now owned by Google. That's where you and I met. And fast forward, you know, 15 years, I was in Cincinnati at Procter & Gamble you know, they said, hey, Bill, we love what you're doing with all this data-driven you know, media buying and optimization. Have you ever thought about applying it to traditional linear media? Because for Procter & Gamble, digital is millions, TV is billions. And so it was at that exact moment, I was like, I don't even know how TV's bought and sold. And everywhere I turned, it was a company called Donovan Data Systems, founded in 1967, a few years before I was born. And for lack of a better example, they were the double click of TV. And then a little bit more research, I realized they're sitting on a mainframe. They are written in a language that predates Daytran and COBOL. You know, it's just antiquated. And yet everyone kind of disliked them, but nobody left them because, it again, it's plumbing and electricity. Nobody wants to rip that stuff out until you really need to. And so I found a small competitor called MediaBank. Ended up taking over the assets in the company. And, you know, and I felt like I was getting the answers to a test before the test was even given. Like I knew where the market was going. Everything was moving to programmatic. Everything was going to automation. And the linear world had to evolve or die. And so the problem is 
I knew that, but the market didn't know it for another 10 or 12 years. So I had to kind of, you know, sit idle. And then I, and then eventually I said, the only way to change behavior, you know, that was three to four decades in the making was to merge Media Bank and Donovan. And we did that. The U.S. Department of Justice took a liking to us for a little while. Eventually, we got through, and that became Media Ocean. Absolutely amazing. And your your career, I know you you, you stepped around it, but it's it's quite impressive, Bill. I mean, you're, you're, you started with, I think it was Accenture. You started in finance. Is that correct? Yeah, you're, accounting. And then, and then yeah, fin- you know, which, finance which, which, makes me look too cool. It was accounting. Which is almost like your bedrock of you, which is what makes you, besides you, you know, very successful what you accomplished. Then you had double click. Then you took a little small stint in, in, in search, in search marketing. Then you went over to write media that was acquired by Yahoo. Then you have media bank, you know, media ocean. Uh, unbelievable. But I'm really interested in the challenges you had with acquiring this old school, massive company that you know, we all heard about, but we didn't really know what they did, right? But we knew that they were, you know, people couldn't rip them out, you know? And and more importantly, your innovation, like, what were you thinking in regards to, okay, I knew what was going to happen in this industry. Could you talk to the steps of, let's say, 2014 to 2020 of the challenges that you had with bringing the companies together? Some of your excitement, some of your doubts, the you know the highs and the lows. Yeah. So yeah, the first is you had a company that, for lack of a better you know kind of example, they were kind of a family-owned, family-run business, right? When I found when I met Michael Donovan of Donovan Data Systems, he was founder, CEO, and one hundred percent equity owner in the business. You know, we we joked that I called him. You know, I I, I called him like thirteen times before I got a response, but you know, he, he says, I, he says I didn't, you know, but taking kind of this like legacy business with legacy technology and legacy thinking and a, you know, a near monopoly and combine it with this venture funded startup, you know, of kind of young folks who wanted to kind of, you know, make a difference, make a statement, you know, you know, really, innovate in a market that hasn't been innovated, you know, you hit it on the head. Those were two massive culture shocks. And so what I knew was in in a lot of these mergers, people kind of try to take inventory of like, all right, we take one executive from here, another executive from here, you know, and you, and everyone plays, you know, like does a report card, right? Who came from Mediabank? Who came from Donovan? My instinct told me, and and I think I was right in the end, is that Culture needed to be created by new blood, new employees, right? So, you know, people who were on, people already had teams, right? So, you know, my job was to make sure that there was a vision that everyone can get behind and that we brought on a new culture, which is people who weren't related to either MediaBank or Donovan. And so what ended up happening is we announced that we were going to invest $100 million of R&D into a digital platform that would become the marketing platform of the future. We called it Prisma. And, you know, we started embarking on, you know, hiring brand new people. We, and eventually when that third class of like new employees got to be about a third of the company, that's when everything changed, right? That's when people either got on board or didn't get on board. 
you know, some people were able to, you know, move with it. Some people weren't. I always say running a company is not a sprint. It's also not a marathon. It's a relay race. And so, you know, there was a lot of baton passing, you know, over the course of those years. At the end of the day, it's more about culture and vision and strategy and leadership than it is about integration technology, right? You know, software, et cetera. It's it's amazing because I know how you value passion above anything else. In fact, I think your last year's, your company rally cry was passion for action. Is that that correct? Yeah, it was. was. Well, you know, talking about, you know, getting to your passion, because that's that's very important with culture because, you know, you're going to work with people and you historically like to work with people that that you like, that you could trust. You, you know, what I've known of you is is that you're hands off and you give people free reign. You know, and it, and it generally attracts people who are self starters and, and detail oriented. So, can you talk about like that's a that's a rather big project when you when you're combining cultures together, but you have to change your culture to this new digital age. That must have been tough as hell getting people that meet your requirements that you want to work with. Yeah. And you also need to keep, you know, the trains on the tracks, right? On the existing platform, right? And so, you know, the other part is when there's a legacy business and a new business, you don't want the legacy folks to think that they're eventually going to become extinct, right? They were just as critical. Actually, you can argue more critical than the new folks because they provided all the cash flow to invest in the new thing, right? And so, you know, there's a lot, there's a, you know, and, and, and listen, and then at the end of the day, you know, you just get lucky on some things, right? Like, you know, there, there, there are some people who said, Hey, there's nobody else in the world who knows how to program to IBM assembly, but I'm 67. I've worked long. I'm ready to retire. Right. And, you know, and so to a certain extent, you know, a lot of it is as the legacy business became a smaller part of the company, we we just had a lot of people who volunteered to retire and you know and and again that's 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 more luck than anything you know over the years you've been a leader as as long as i've known you for close to 25 years and you have a lot you had a lot going on in the last 25 years yeah you, you, you had you know five beautiful children you know you know very successful outcomes what has changed how how has your leadership changed over the time that we first met in, in 98? So, I, you know, I would say, you know, with age and, and maybe a little success, you know, and maturity, I think there's like less of an edge and there's more of an appreciation for the fact that, you know, your people are your single biggest asset, right? And, you know, and it used to be, you know, I'm the best, I have the best strategy, my product is better. At the end of the day, even in a world of AI and ChatGPT and technology and software, people want to do business with people they like. And then I say all the time, I spend just the raw math is, even if you just work nine to five, the raw math is you spend more time with the people you work with than you do your family. I have five kids. I fucking love my family. So I better love what I do. And that rolls into your passion comment, which is like, I think passion is the single most important driver of success is that, you know, I, I, you know, for me, I don't, I don't see a line where work end and, and life begins. Like it's just all one life for me. And, you know, my son's now in the industry, you know, some of my best friends 
in this world or from work, right? And that's the beauty of being in a social kind of industry. Yeah, it's amazing watching your your children on social media grow up. I remember, you know, and this comes back to not only about your passion, but how empathetic and caring you are about about everything you care about, right? Including, you know, most importantly, like besides your family, but your team. And, you know, I spoke to many of your employees over the past week, and it's amazing, you know, the stories I hear. And I remember talking to my wife over over dinner. I'm like, they they are so fortunate to have a leader like you. And I I can't even tell you the the stories I heard were were amazing. But getting back to your empathy and 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 caring for for your team. I want to I want to go to the covid years when you know especially like back to when when we all shut down. Tell me about what was going through your mind then. I mean, you know, you're a people person. You love the people you work with and now everybody is home. As a leader, talk to me. What happened? Probably in my career the thing I'm most proud of is how I managed and we managed through the pandemic. The the first thing was how do I appear to be part of everyone's lives and families? And so I created a YouTube channel and every Friday I did a video, unscripted, you know, unrehearsed, you know, two to two to four minutes, nothing huge, what's going on, what's happening, right? That immediately just kept everyone in the loop, everyone up to speed. And, you know, and for me, I'm, I'm full transparency, right? The second thing, you know, I was owned by private equity at the time. You know, they immediately sent me a book on how to furlough employees, how to, you know, lay off employees. And I went right on and I said, we are blessed to have a great business that's highly profitable. And, you know, in those times, it's now like most of the times, you know, companies are lucky to have A plus players, right, on their team, right? There are a few times, and it probably happens every 10 or 12 years, where where people are lucky to have the company. And in those times, like brands and real commitment are are created. And so I said, like, my goal is to, is no one's going to be furloughed, no one's going to lose their job, and nobody did. And, And I think through that, you know, we've always had really strong retention rates, but I think through that, I think a lot of employees just appreciated that Mediocean truly cares about them and their families, right? And I didn't make it just about the business. I made it about your families and what we're going to do. You know, there was, there were times we have a, we have a lot of employees in India. We got, we got oxygen tanks to India, right? So to help people breathe, right? You know, then all of a sudden you had the social unrest, you know, and, and the whole BLM, the riots and everything else, I literally did a video and I, I, I got emotional. I started crying and I said, listen, people think CEOs have the answers. I don't have the answers. Help me, help me. And then I, like, I got more responses from that video than ever. And then I created a 12 point list of what we were going to do to change the environment where we're in. You know, like some, some people were like, hey, I don't know if you recognize this, but there's a ton of unconscious bias in resumes, if we just eliminated, like cut names off the top of resumes or blacked it out, you know, we can eliminate unconscious bias. I was like, fucking A, we're doing that tomorrow, starting tomorrow. To this day, no names are on resumes when, that's, when our managers get phenomenal. Right. That, that, and, that's, and that's just a small example, but you know, it, it's, it's, 
it's incredible the community you can create. And the reality is because we work so hard and people are our greatest asset, like I think people appreciate that. People just, uh, you know. Oh, and, and you know, the, the story about you know, the beginning times of COVID and your board, I, I heard this from your people, multiple people, your refusal on the board's direction during COVID to cut headcount, you know, and, and your, your empathy towards your team and your A players and your B players and everybody. But there was another side to that. You decided and confirmed this to retrain your facility staff for other jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, part of that was, hey, you know, my team came back to me and said, hey, Bill, I, that's great. You don't want to, you know, you want everyone to keep their job. But like we have an office staff of like 18 people who manages the offices that we that we're in. And I said, great. We now effective immediately have a retraining program and we retrain those people to do, you know, training, you know, some some on executive support you know, some joint customer support. Some of them actually, you know, went into other roles and are still in those roles, you know? And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was a pretty gnarly time, but, you know, but again, it's like, you know, and, and those people, again, you talk about people who are committed, you know, that like, you know, th- those guys like love, love, love the company because we love them when it mattered most. Yeah, and you have you have employees that have been there for 30, 40, year, 40 years at Media Ocean. That's <laughs> yeah, like unheard of in, in our industry. It, it and it says a lot about your company and and you as a leader. And I'm sure you have your eye on that on the people and how many years they've been at your well, company for. Yeah, listen, that's a baton that I didn't you know start with. That's a baton I took from Michael Donovan, who truly loves his people. And he listen, Michael Donovan has made a lot of money through the years. He made more money since he, you know, let me be the CEO, but he still cares to this day. I'm having breakfast with him tomorrow to give him the update on what's happening, you know, this quarter. Right. And so, you know, it, it started with Sir Michael. You know, being a Long Island boy, I know you're still very close and I'm a Long Island boy to a lot of your elementary school buddies that you hold very close to along with your industry friends. I see that. And it's great to see a question about you as a as a person and as a leader, how growing up in Long Island with a single mother, how has that molded you as the person you are today, as the dad you are, as the leader you are? You know, I often say this, like I was willing to take risks because I kind of came from nothing. Part of me feels I can go back to nothing. I'll still be happy, you know, and I, and I had a chip on my shoulder just to prove that I belong, right? You know, I actually, I started my career actually in tax tax accounting. I was told by I was told by the manager that I wasn't polished enough and he didn't offer me a job after interning there for a summer. And that's like unheard of in these, you know, big six, now big four accounting jobs. Like unless you like steal from the company, like you get a job offer. I didn't. And the, so the funny part is five years later, I was at a startup called DoubleClick. He came in to present to me to be our tax advisors. And so I go to the CFO and I was like, hey, you mind if I uh, sit in on this meeting? And I was like, and in fact, can I run it? And Kevin Ryan and Stephen Collins allowed me to. And I, I look at, at the, and of course he had the best presentation. They were great. And I looked at him and I go, hey, John, do you remember me? And he's like, uh, you look a little familiar. And I was like, yeah, I was that, I was that kid who wasn't on, who is not polished enough to be on your team. And like, you know, like I never owned a suit before. 
I, I didn't know anything about the stock market. Like I just was this naive poor kid. Right. And, you know, and, and instead of like him, like saying, Hey, this kid, this kid came from nothing and is trying to make something of his life. He like kicked me down. So I kicked him right back and people are like, Oh, were you the better person and gave him the job? I go, fuck that. I said, get the <laughs> fuck, get the fuck out of my office. You piece of shit. <laughs> That's great. Everything from from growing up in Long Island with with your with your family, with your mother, taught you probably a lot of things on how to be like a father to your kids, right? And and you know, and the things I, I've noticed, and and I remember this so vividly, Bill. We were at an offsite, and I guess it was around two thousand, maybe it was Florida. Your your son was born recently, your oldest son, Connor, and there was difficulties, all right, in the birth, and you got really emotional. And I saw you as a human, you know, and now now he graduated Tulane. He's he's working in the industry. You have a your middle daughter, Kate, you know, summa cum laude, graduate of Boston University. She's going to Georgetown Law School. You have you know, Charlotte that just graduated last week from high school, she's going to University of Miami on an academic scholarship. And then you have two toddlers, Jordan, you know, two two little ones, right? Like, like, and you have so much to look forward to. Tell me like the journey of of being a dad and juggling that with being a leader. And and, and watching watching them grow and be independent and successful in so many different ways. You know, the, the one thing I'll say, listen, it, I wish I can freeze this moment in time because like, you know, as you were talking and talking about my kids, like I, I started getting emotional because like everything is great right now. But, you know, so, you know, the, the things you read on social media is like, you know, like, you know, every every kid scores the winning goal in soccer, or lacrosse, like, you know, nobody says like, hey, my kid sat on the fucking bench the entire season, never got in you know, but actually, you know, was a team player and showed up to practice every day. Like, you know, uh, you know, and so where my kids are now is just so incredible and I'm just so happy for them, but it wasn't easy getting there. Right. And it's never easy getting there. And people don't like to talk about, you know, the struggle and like, yeah, my, I remember getting, you know, getting up when my son was literally a couple months, couple months old, we were at a sales conference I got up and I thought I could get through it and I just broke down, just started crying, you know? And, uh, and by the way, I, I, I find myself crying a lot in front of people. I guess people find it endearing, but you know, my son was diagnosed with, with cerebral palsy and we lived for a year thinking he had cerebral palsy. And I was like, Hey, listen, as long as he has his brain, I don't like, I can wheel him around. We'll figure out how to get him around. Like, I just want him to have his brain. He ended up getting misdiagnosed and he has a syndrome, you know, called EDS that, that is, you know, is it's, it's tough. He, you know, he's had a hard life. He can't play, you know, he was never able to play contact sports. He, you know, tires easily, you know, it's gotta be something he's aware of ends up. It's a, it's a genetic thing that we're, we're in all three of my older kids, you know, he, he struggled for years, right? He's at its top of his game right now, right? He's working in the industry. He found his passion, right? And and by the way, like you know, the the one thing that does help, like you know, I when he when he was done with school, you know, he he had an opportunity at TikTok, an opportunity at another influencer marketing company. He ended up choosing the events company that he went to, which was easily the lowest paying of the jobs because he's playing the long ball, and that's what we all need to do is like find our passion, play the long ball. If you, 
if you find your passion and you're great at it, like success will come and success doesn't need to be monetary success. It can be, you know, a lot of different things. And so he's traveling the globe. He's having a time of his life. He can't afford to live in Manhattan, but he'll figure that out. And listen, like, you know, being a parent is the hardest job we all have. And I think there's a little bit of timing. There's a little bit of luck and you just got to give a lot of love, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. But, you know, I remember all those years, it, it could be like 12 years now where you brought your kids along for the ride. Like you, you took them to, to, to Cannes, you took them to CES, you know, an internship when they were in like as early as junior high school for them without them knowing. So my son, he was at the Cannes Media Festival in the south of France last week, and he ended up getting a promotion, you know, there, you know, mostly because he's not a kid right out of school. He, you know, he's been doing this stuff for a decade with me. Yeah. You know, there is no, like, again, the line between work and life, you know, seem to blur more and more these days, particularly as we have flexibility to work anywhere. I don't understand why people don't get their kids involved, right? Like, you know, I talk like, and I also never like talk to my kids like they were kids. Like I talked to them like they were, you know, people and adults. And I would, you know, I would talk to them about my job. I would talk to them about, you know, things that we're, I was dealing with at work. So they knew what was happening. And so, it, you know, I think the more you can do that, you know, the more we create just capable, great people, you know? Yeah. Fascinating. I want to go back to Media Ocean a bit because you made some pretty big moves over the past three years. And I want to really learn about like what you're most excited about. But you acquired a company called MPS in, in early 2020. Then July of 2020, 4C Insights was a very interesting acquisition that you made. And then the year following in July of 2021, you acquired a company called Flash Talking. And the most interesting one, 4C was probably the most interesting, but very close second to me was the Drisham acquisition, AI, in July in 2022. You know, when you talk about natural language and AI, and now what we're talking about, you know, generative AI. Talk to me about the importance of the last three years in your acquisitions, because in between, you actually sold Media Ocean to private equity. And, and it wasn't so much in my mind an exit. It was actually the next phase of Media Ocean to be, you know, to be not only as relevant, but more re- relevant now and, and, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now. You know, talk to me about the last three years in your acquisition mode and what are you doing with it now and into the future? Yeah, great question. We definitely went through this maturation where we wanted to go from being kind of an agency system, more like a vertical ERP back office company into a true advertising technology software business. And, you know, to do that, we need to get relevant in ad tech. So the first thing we said was, you know, what what are the gaps? And, you know, as we all know, companies like, you know, the walled gardens, Google, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, now, you know, Twitter, now TikTok, you know, they've all created their own closed ecosystem platforms and where you just need a login and a credit card. You know, we weren't relevant there. And that's a that's a big percentage of the digital spend is kind of search social and now kind of retail commerce. And so we need to be relevant there. So that's the 4C acquisition. They gave us 
you know, buying workflow and optimization into the walled gardens. Then, you know, then it was, hey, you know, Google, Facebook, and Amazon have all acquired the world's leading buy-side ad servers. You know, meanwhile, the three of them are the world's largest sellers of media, right? At the end of the day, they're all publishers, and they own all the buy-side ad servers. And we said, you know, F that. The market needs independence, particularly CMOs and, and their agencies. And so we bought Flash Talking because it was the only independent ad server left. And so, you know, got into that business. And then, and then we needed to extend the Flash Talking product. They, they had an ad serving product. They had a CTV video product that was really, really small and we invested in. And then they had a dynamic creative product. Creative often gets lost in, in the conversation around, around advertising. And the Drisham product was like, how can we add a level of artificial intelligence into those products? You know, and it's interesting because I, I feel like our timing on that was impeccable. It was before, it was before ChatGBT and OpenAI kind of came out. And so, yeah, that, that team, you know, you know, like I, I always love teams where you go in and they don't even have to try to be the smartest guys and they just are. And it's almost um, like you, you purposely brought data science into your family. Yeah. No, we had to, we had to, because you know, just you need to get better. And and listen, when you're competing with Google, Facebook, and Amazon for talent and for ad dollars and for ad tech mind share and market share, like you, you know, you need to outsmart them, outduel them. Right at the end of the day, they're very focused on yield to themselves. You know, and and sometimes they just give away the products. But there's a there's there's nuances where you know we are much more transparent than Google is on our ad server, right? We, we add more AI to optimize to the buy side as opposed to, you know, doing yield management for the sell side, right? And so, you know, there's ways that, that we can beat Google, you know, and, and, and that's what the game is right now. They, they are the large market share player against us right now on the ad, ad tech side and ad serving side, even on the DCO side. And so, you know, we're, we're, taking advantage of the fact that we have new money in, they're looking at, you know, a seven-year time horizon on a return of that money, and then the markets are down, right? And so it's a great time to be a buyer. Yeah, it sure is. So now the past six months, we have talking about generative AI. Everybody's talking about generative AI. You as a CEO, rather large company, talk to me about your thoughts about generative AI and how it will affect your business in a positive way, or maybe not. No, listen, I, th I think it, just like anything else, you know, there's, there's conversations of, you know, Hey, this is interesting. You know, obviously we, we have AI, you know, built into our products. We have auto optimization, but to a certain extent, the question is like, what are the dynamics in terms of individual industries and their ecosystems? Right. Because, You'll have take it take General Motors, Unilever, Procter and Gamble, right? Like take some of the largest marketers in the world. They have their own data science teams, right? And so, you know, so who's going to control the levers, right? And how are you going to think about co-opting data, right? And you know, and and that has huge effects, right? And so, you know, it's it's not like we're trying to do all the decisioning, own all the decisioning. We want to enable the decisioning. And then, you know, have toggles to say, 
hey, do you want us to auto-optimize this ourselves using our generative AI? Or do you want to use your own data science models and your own data science teams? And you know what we're seeing is like the advertising community is really driven by 500 marketers for the most part. And those 500 marketers, you know, you know, the top 50 will have their own data science capabilities, like deep data science oh. capabilities. Oh, yeah. When you get oh, to yeah. the bottom 200, it's like, hey, I'll, I'd love to, you know, I'll, ha I'll, I'll have my own data strategy, but I'm not going to have a whole data science team. And so, you know, it, it, you know, the question is, how do you do a one size fits all? I think it's, it's a, you know, end or, right? It's like, you know, there's Boolean logic in, in some of this stuff. And so, you know, and then I think the, the word of caution is just like, hey, the, you know, I can see if you have a simple report on, you know, the founding fathers, you know, my, my kids are already doing that, right? But, you know, but as it relates to making decisions in real time, you know, based on, you know, data that's unique to you, right? Like, that's not going to be solved by open AI, but we can all be more efficient with it. Right. And, 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 you know, just going back to like kids and learning, you know, it's, it's not actually about like learning when you and I were in school, we're like, we had to learn when, what year a war started. Right. Then all of a sudden, like fast forward 20 years, it's like, Hey, anyone can type into Google. When was, you know, when was the, you know, civil war started? When was world war two started? The then they started teaching, why wars began like why why did it get to the point where two people started you know fighting each other right then you know now it's going to be even a step further there's going to be critical thinking of like you know okay you were this side of the war like tell us why you should have or shouldn't have done this yeah no right? it's it's you bring up a very interesting point because you know our kids were trained or we were trained as adults to keyword in things and now it's changing where you're almost talking to another human, a computer, to give you information. But it's not keyword base, right? You're, 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 it's, 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 it's remarkable. And so, the, the, listen, the, the levels of critical thinking that our kids, you know, have the ability to do right now is, you know, I think will, I think a middle school, a middle schooler can probably get to levels of critical thinking that I didn't get to in college. Oh, right? for, sure. for sure. But that's why I'm huge on ed tech, right? Because yeah. the, the current infrastructure cannot handle, like, you know, we still have textbooks that teach you how to memorize shit. You don't need to memorize shit anymore. You have Google, you have ChatGPT, you have whatever, you know, Alexa. And so, you know, so, so now we need to start training curriculums, right? and training teachers, right? And changing the entire education system. And like, yeah. that's a world of opportunity. I mean, as, as old as your business is, is, it still feels like you're in the fourth inning of a long game, you know? And that all depends on innovation and what happens. So my question to you is, what most excites you about the next, you know, three to five years in regards to innovation? And what do you, what do you key in on? And I ask you that because it seems like, Seems like July is a great month for, for Media Ocean when it comes to acquisitions. 2020, you know, 2021, 2022, you did the 4C, 5 and the AI company. You have anything in the horizon, like in the next month? <laughs> I, I like to say that Media Ocean is the oldest startup in the world. We're a 56 year old startup. There's a lot happening. We, we have a lot of, of 
linear TV spend still flowing through our platforms and will for decades, right? I am most excited about CTV and the role that we can play in CTV is the is the first true medium that ha- isn't just gonna, isn't going to just be digital. It has to retain, you know, the attributes of linear traditional media, right? True sight, sound and motion, eliciting response, right? It's creative, it's it's buying, it's optimization, it's data, it's all the above. Something that like search or even like internet ads can't ever give is that emotion that you get from like these these ads on the TV or on your your YouTube video, you know, YouTube Live, whatever, way, whatever you're using. By the way, you you remember like you know me and you were younger, Jordan Bird, nothing but net commercial. Yeah, yeah, right, sure. So, debuted during the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, I can I can rattle off. I can like, where's the beef? Where's the beef? Where's the beef? That's I can right. rattle off, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of commercials that bring me back to my living room with my parents, right? And what I was right. doing, this and that. Now, like, let's do the same for internet ads. I remember that flashing siren in 2000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the X10. You remember the X10? X-10. That's right, that's right. Yeah, or the pop-unders, the pop-unders. Yeah. Um, right, right. But like, that's advertising, right? And And if you think about AI meets workflow, meets creative, meets data, meets data science, meets optimization. Like it's, I think CTV has the ability to truly change and a place that we can beat Google, Facebook, and Amazon. So be on the lookout. Wow. Well, listen, we could speak for hours and I know (laughs) your time is valuable, but I would love to see you soon, Bill. I thank you for your time cheering for you on the side like a lot of other people are and be well and keep on kicking ass. All right, brother. Say hello to wife and twin daughters of yours. Yes. Be well. All right, Bill. Take care. Thank you for joining us. 